excited to have you here today. I, like, I'm very, very excited for this interview together and to just talk about Ikigai. And you know, I know it's a, a big topic central to your business and everything that's going on at Dr. Passion. So I'm really excited to, to talk to you about this today. Um, we've prepared some questions, so I'm excited to get into it. Um, first of all, let's introduce you. Um, we have Mr. Soko Trin, a.k.a. Dr. Passion, um, with us today. And this is actually one of the first Passion Talks. So how exciting is that? Wow, I am. I don't know what the word is, but I probably would say I'm thrilled, excited, and a little bit nervous as well. But um, this is such a topic that I find meaningful, and uh, I've seen it in action on me in my own life and uh, my family lives as well, but also on quite a few of my um, client and coaches' lives. So I am very excited. <laughs> <laughs> And we know that when you're excited, you're Dr. Passion yourself, so in the flesh here. So so we know that it's mega excitement. So, uh, yeah, I, I know how central this topic is and how important it really is to sort of the, the message and part of, you know, the construct of everything that you're about. So I'm really excited to talk about this and sort of make sure that, you know, certain questions get answered and um, that we have a really viable discussion about it's such an mm. important concept really um so the concept today that we're going to talk about is ikigai um you know it is often described as sort of the reason for being there is no direct english translation um mm -hmm. yeah there isn't any word that directly encompasses or can actually you know fulfill the direct translation of ikigai in english which is why it can be so abstract and incomprehensible and I feel like that's where you know somebody like you can come in and really help us to understand not just literally the translation but you know more the nuances of of how that can show up in business and in the workplace and that's really what we're focused on here today we're really focused on you know how, how does ikigai show up in the workplace and in the individual in the workplace and 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 in all of us really and all our passions and and what we do and in mission-driven workplaces so um, I'm going to start with the first question, if you don't mind. So the first question that I have for you today is, so we know that Ikigai, that the Ikigai framework or lens can be used as a framework for individual well-being. Um, how do you think this may be also applicable as a framework for greater organizational well-being? And I guess sort of a bigger part of that question would also be if you can touch a little bit on your interpretation or how do you identify or, or define Ikigai? I think that would also, well, we'll get into that a little bit later, but I think that would also be a good place to start. I think this is a great question. So oftentimes I, um, I, when I coach people or when I work with teams, um, um, but predominantly when I use ikigai um, as a, I think it's a Japanese word actually. Um, as a matter of fact, it's it's a Japanese concept. It often is applied to one-on-one -on -one individuals. Now, I personally think that it can be expanded to the organizational setting. Um, because when you look at not only the research, but also what I've applied myself with um, teams, um, but also organization, you see that the concept of Ikigai can also impact employee engagement, um, the sense of giving employees uh, the sense of motivation that they find intrinsically within themselves. And it also gives you, um, how can I call that? 
it has a very pragmatic touch to it. So Ikigai is, although it's a very abstract concept, I personally, when I read it for the first time, I found it very abstract. It also had, however, a very pragmatic touch because one of the layer of Ikigai is, is being paid, for example. And so when you apply that to an organizational setting and without you know, describing how an organizational an organization would work, it invites employees, leaders, and team to focus on what is efficient. So it also may lead to increased efficiency. And I think that when you, you look at an increase of efficiency on the one hand, an increase of employee engagement and motivation, generally speaking, it would naturally translate into what we would see in the real world is an increase of overall performances, and typically, Typically, people would measure that in terms of financial uh, metrics. So it can lead to positively correlate with, and we see it actually both when people can clearly measure the impact of Ikigai, it can really take organization to increase financial performances as well. So I think bottom line, increased motivation of employee. Uh, I would also say increase of efficiency in the way people work and get focused on what is very important. And finally, it also um, links to this idea of increased financial performances. And that, I think, are three hot topics for any organizations. So what I'm hearing is there's, it sounds like there's like a couple of layers to this. I think what I'm very interested in understanding is, you know, we, we have sort of this organizational layer to it, right? But there's also the organizational layer occurs as a result of the individuals coming together. How does sort of implementing Ikigai into like the view of the organizational vision or the organizational's organization's way of leading business, how exactly does that fit into the picture here as well? No, I think it's a very good question. So one of the things that uh, we would probably may talk about is like one of the very practical tools that um, I would suggest organization to use, um, but also individuals. Um, when you think about it, any organization needs to um, start off with like a clear vision. It's a, it's a, it's almost like a given, right? Um, what do you have like a, a guiding star in life? Like take an, an individual without any guiding star, choices that you make in life are almost like if you were wearing blinkers, you're like walking blindly. To me, an organization is exactly the same. If they have a guiding star, then teams, leaders, divisions, and so on and so forth would follow that guiding star. So if you do apply the concept of Ikigai, and we can talk about maybe the definition as well at some point, um, it's almost like giving that clear pathway to teams and leaders, starting with the top leadership. Um, what exactly should we as a company, but also all of us individually, should we focus on things that we love doing as a company, things that we actually are really good at, like where we really deliver a value proposition, but also we need to be pragmatic. That's, I'm, I'm using back that term of pragmatic. We need to propose something to the market that um, is needed. And finally, something that would generate, for example, what companies would probably want is increased performances. And typically that would be measured in terms of financial metrics. So if you look at the crossover between those four different items, it also translates to an Ikigai concept. So it allows and invite people to focus on something that is a pragmatic focus. They're good at it. They can make money out of it. Um, they actually love doing this. 
And finally, there's a market need, customer needs for that, if that makes sense. So I think it represents some sort of guiding star for organization, employees and leaders. Got it. And now, you know, like you said before, we were we were going to get into some of the, the more applicable ways in which, you know, a company could perhaps foster Ikigai, which is, you know, I, I say foster Ikigai because realistically Ikigai is, is a concept, right? Um, I think I want to really emphasize that aspect of it because I think when people first hear the word, if you don't know much about it, you might be like, well, what exactly is it? Um, so that's why our conversation today, you know, is, is, is I think very focused around sort of what the values are and what, you know, how it's part of mission because it can be very abstract but it's also yes. like you said very pragmatic that it has applicational um an applicational route to it per se so um one of the questions that i also have for you today is can you provide us with an example of an intervention or exercise that someone in current leadership may want to conduct or suggest as part of the learning and development curriculum or um of the organization to foster greater ikigai Yeah, I I can tell you exactly kind of two, I mean, call it an intervention or exercises to make it simple that with um, people one-on-one, but also teams. If we apply that to a team or an organizational context, one of them is, I call it the three level of, the three levels of purposes. So imagine that you have like a, like a funnel or a lift um, at the very top level, let's say it's the ground floor. This is um, the facts. In other words, um, the cognitive side of things, right? Mm, mm-hmm. Then you have, you take the lift and you go down the second level of purpose for Ikigai. And this is the heart, the heart level. So you look into um, what motivate people um, uh, from an emotional perspective. So it's the purpose, but from um, the heart perspective. And then you look at, you take the lift and you go down another floor and this one is the one that is the most difficult to describe. I personally call it, um, if I used a metaphor of lift that we take down to go to the core, the essence of what motivates and gives purpose to a team or an organization, that third level, that floor would be the soul. It's almost like the soul somehow, but a soul connected to the body. Um, if I use one word, I've been thinking about this, it almost would be the gut level. And so one of the exercises that I do with teams is um, taking them to look at what are the things, activities, work they can do at, first of all, the first level, that factually are things I find meaningful, uh, what do they see, uh, how many people should be in there, and so on and so forth. Then we go to the next level, and they need to connect from cognitive, it needs to be emotional. They need to feel connected to this. And so then we work around um, the, the, the emotional side of things, how the team connect uh, in terms of uh, emotions, in terms of feelings. And when they get this clear, then they go to the very, very last layer. And I invite them to really crystallize what is at the core, not the essence, but the quintessence of that perfume, that Ikigai perfume. And when they crack this with one word, one picture, one token, you name it, then they use it, and they actually sometimes they tangibilize that by um, all of the entire team would find a token that reminds them of this is our team purpose, this is our ikigai. 
then they keep it as a token. Let's say it's stone or a pen. Everyone in the team would have that token in front of them in a desk. It could be a picture. So this is one of the exercises. I call it the three levels, if you will, of, of purpose uh, and ikigai. The second one is, is an entire methodology approach. I could even call that a tool that I have created. I think just using one of the words you said, ikigai, when I read it for the first time, I fell in love. Um, yet <laughs> I found it too, too abstract. I was like, what the? This is so abstract. I was like, all right, living a meaningful life, what the hell does it mean? And so I scratched my head. I was like, you know, the social behavioral scientist to me was like, um, hmm. I think what is missing is something more systematic. And what I call systematic <laughs> is, what I call systematic is, okay, if tomorrow I disappear from this world, me, Dr. Trin, aka Dr. Passion, that people call it, it's like, all right, fine. Um, who can reproduce exactly the steps, the tools, the questions, whatever it is, in a systematic way, right? That would be interesting. Then from that systematic approach, you can start measuring whether it works or it doesn't work. So I came up with that systematic approach of, of coaching people and helping people through the Ikigai methodology and uh, philosophy somehow. And it involves um, three, four things. The first one, data collection, both quant and qualitative data. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, like psychometric scales and stuff that have been used. The second one is a series of micro, in other words, small coaching sessions, one-on-one um, -on -one or as a team. The third thing that is involved is a tool that I have created, uh, which invite people to self-report and answer. Yeah. And then finally, um, it's good for people to find a guy, but hang on, you find something that you find meaningful for you. But then, so what, as I often tell people, you've got the what, so what, and then from the so what, what's next? So the last thing that I, in, I involve in this systematic approach is some sort of behavioral, um, behavioral shift um, session where we lock in people's um, healthier habits or behavioral plan, if you will, behavioral commitment plan for the months, the years to come. And they then apply that in the day-to-day -day work. So it's good that they find what they find meaningful, yeah? They see the data in front of them, but the practical application to that is in the very last session, they lock in everything they found and they've learned about themselves individually, but also as a team, with a behavioral commitment plan. And they then walk away with that plan that they implement. So this is more of a systematic approach, which also incorporates a tool that I have created. Um, and that kind of worked quite well because um, teams like it and individual leaders or individual people, they love it because it's more kind of applicable and pragmatic, if that makes sense. And there also are steps. Would you say that this approach that you have, it's sort of making the non-cognitive cognitive, which is something, you know, that I think if you're a leader in the workplace, like any good leader is going to try to sort of have a vision or a culture on their team, even if, you know, not at the top level, even within small teams. So would you say that in, in your area of work as Dr. Passion, within the Dr. Passion brand, as you apply the practice of fostering ikigai in companies or in workplaces, you're really turning the non-cognitive into the in, into cognitive form for bringing it into the cognitive, into the conscious awareness. 
I, I would, of my the answer would be, I think it's a great question. My answer would be yes and. Yes <laughs> so and. So what I mean by this is yes and, right? Positive communication. Uh, my point is yes and why. As I said, like the three level, the, the other exercise I explained, it's great to talk about facts and cognition. Um, so cognition is very much linked to what, the way you think, but also memories, right? Um, and, and and so on and so forth. Now, I think you also need to have people to connect with the heart. And so through the micro coaching sessions in the Ikigai process, systematic process, I also invite people to connect with their hearts. And so I invite them to mm. vulnerably open up. They vulnerably open up and they start opening up to the teams if this is a team systemic work or if it's a one-on-one, for example, Ikigai coaching, then I invite the leader, whoever I'm coaching, to then put himself or herself vulnerable in this relationship and really connect with the heart as well, not only the mind, which we have the tendency to be, especially when I work with like seasoned leaders, they're like so good at this level. They're like machines, Ferrari, <laughs> they, they think fast, How they I get know. things done. <laughs> It's, it's action, but that's a fine. Let's take it from that level to... We take the lift and we go to this level, the heart. So that's the emotion. So it's cognition, but it's also emotion. And then it's great to be aware of things, cognition. It's, it's great to feel some way, emotion. But then, let's be honest, then you want to see actions. And that's the third level, behavioral, what is visible. And behavioral is twofold. I would then invite teams or leaders to stop certain behaviors that they had. So maybe, for example, toxic behaviors, way of talking to the team by shouting at people, toxic behaviors between people and the way they communicate or retention of information. So there are habits to stop or to prevent, but then there are habits that people don't have. And then we work on how to build healthy or healthier routines and habits. In other words, healthy series of behaviors using nudges, for example. Um, so in a nutshell, it's cognitive, yes, and emotional and also behavioral, I would say. Mm-hmm. So we're making the space for that um, within your applicational tools, with the faculties of your applicational tools. I hope you enjoyed the chat. If you did, share, like, subscribe, and please join me for the next one. Thank you.